everybody. Welcome back to The One Thing Podcast. I'm Chris Dixon. I bet you've been in a position to make a big decision or you've been in a really high stakes meeting or in a stressful scenario and found yourself on the other side of that experience asking yourself or wishing that you had made a different decision or that you had communicated a little bit differently or you showed up different as a leader in that moment. Today, I spoke with David Noble and Carol Kaufman on the podcast, and they share what are our limits when we're using or leveraging just instinct in responding in a high-stress scenario. They talk about how important it is to approach these situations with a system or a model to set you up for success, and four simple steps that leaders can use to master these moments of crisis. In today's fast-paced and ever-changing world, we are consistently faced with difficult choices and high-stakes scenarios. So please enjoy this conversation today with David Noble and Carol Kaufman on how we can leverage their framework to make better decisions about how we show up and influence others as leaders and for ourselves. All right. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to The One Thing Podcast. I'm very lucky to have Carol Kaufman and David Noble on with us today. Guys, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having us, Chris. Yeah, of course. Well, let me give a little background. So Carol is ranked one of the top eight coaches in the world by Thinkers 50. She's an assistant professor at Harvard Medical School, a visiting professor at Henley Business School, and is a senior leadership advisor. David, also a top Thinkers 50 coach in the world and is a leading executive coach advising CEOs, their teams, major investors on leadership and strategy, more than 20 years of experience. Uh, in this world, and he's uh, very passionate about his his project. And they're both co-authors of a new book that's coming out: Real Time Leadership. Find your winning moves when the stakes are high. And I know I'm super excited to talk to you guys about what you're up to and the content you have inside your book and your methodology because I think it's great. So thanks again for being here. Thank you. We're happy about this. Yeah. So can you give me a little bit more uh, background on what you guys brought you guys together and why you're interested in this this topic? Uh, let me tell you how we met. It was faded. Um, one day back in 2016, I think it was, I got two completely separate reasons and told about David Noble. One person was talking to me about it from Egon Zender. Another person was talking about it unconnected. So in one day, we were introduced to each other in two formats, in and um, as you'll see, David and I have very complementary backgrounds. And what's actually weird about working with us is we will come to a similar conclusion or even a statement. I come from the background of the clinical psychology, trauma work, and then leadership coach. David comes from being a banker, CEO of the world's uh, first digital bank, and a strategist, and we intersect. So that's that's some of how we came together. Double threat. Yeah. We we actually found out that we um, we just got along terrifically. So we started working with clients together and on new um, intellectual property together. And then there was one moment where um, you know coaching is is a is a solo sport. So you have one coach, one client, and we ended up working for the same organization once. Carol was working with the CEO as a coach, and I was working with the executive leadership team. And uh, we just both happened to be on the client site at the same day. And um, um, Carol and the CEO were talking and they waved me into the office and we started talking. And it was just really interesting um, that Carol was going down a path with the CEO of some um, emotional regulation on him getting more alignment with his team. And it wasn't happening. And then I just asked a few kind of grounding questions around the strategy and the governance model and what he was hoping to achieve out of this. And then together, we kind of realized like, wow, I think we can actually refocus him, unlock him, and then find a new way forward together. So it was like, it was really remarkable. So this total, this new idea of two-on-one coaching happened, which is was quite groundbreaking, actually. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. You you typically don't see, like you said, it's it's usually a solo endeavor. But you guys each bringing a different approach to the same point uh, to be able to communicate from either side, I think, is a pretty dynamic way to approach the coaching process. Yeah. Well, we've, well, we've, we've been, oh, 
We're going to say the same thing. We're going to say the same thing. From David's perspective, you know, having been a managing partner of two strategy firms that you would know, you know, he said, when we go into some like big leader's office, you don't have one little strategy person come in. You have like a whole group of them. So when the stakes are just as high, why, you know, why is it that we restrict our understanding of coaching? Although David and I are a combination of coaches and leadership advisors. Yeah. And there's that, there's that kind of classic balance that you probably have to strike between being a coach and a consultant then in some way, right? Where you're, you're trying to ask the questions, but also give the knowledge. Do you, do you see that being a, a balance to strike? Okay. David's laughing because this is a big thing I do. So <laughs> what you do is you imagine this is a C for coaching and this is a C for consulting. And then you put them together to form a figure eight. Okay. Mm. Now, Let's imagine that figure eight of coaching and consulting, instead of going this way, goes this way between you and me. And so what you can do is one C is the, the coaching where I'm pulling from you, but then there's information you, you, you'd benefit from. And then the, that's the consulting. And so how do you go back and forth? And one way to kind of do coach-based consulting is I'll say something to you like, well, usually at this point in a merger and acquisition, what you need to focus is on is this, is this, is this. Does that fit with your experience? So what you do is you make your offer and then you flip it backwards with a question. So the coaching is pull and pull, and then you make an offer, whether it's in, biz- in business where David is sort of the, the master for me in some kind of mini tutorial. And then you keep going back for this infinity loop. That's a cool perspective. Yeah, it's just it's it's really interesting because if you think about the core coaching philosophy, it's all about asking but and not telling. But if I sat there with a top leader and just asked questions all day long and didn't have anything else to offer, even though they're great questions, I would be thrown out of the room. So yeah, you're going to get snuffed really, out quick. <laughs> yeah, very 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 fast in my experience. So it is a balance of um, telling as well as asking. Yeah, well said. I like the infinity. I'm I'm not going to lie. I'm probably going to steal that. And uh, we call it the case method, copy and steal everything. So, <laughs> All right. All right. Yeah. Respectfully, of course. And I'll give you credit where due. Thank that's you. great. So you guys are focused on leadership and and primarily there's a, I want to call it a niche of like some of the, the things you've seen with leadership when it comes to making decisions and and doing that at a high level when the stakes are really up and and the the triggers are there and it's where you you tend to see flaws and maybe emotional response things like that yeah and we find that um our model and stuff which we can talk to you about we find that it works at the top of the house but what we really figured out and unfortunately the book was finished is it works in the house as well um so it can really be you know big high stakes, gun to your head, ginormous decision, or you're at home and your child says, I'm done with my homework and I want to watch TV now. Same. Well, big decisions relative, right? I mean, it's mm-hmm. it, it's big given the situation, the moment, uh, but it's all it's all relative. Well, maybe we could share some of, uh, of the model or, or where, where you guys think we could jump in to give a little bit of context on, on how you guys see the problem and where you're focused. Sure. Well, maybe we'll just set it up and and just do a a quick tour through the past three years (laughs) because it's been a wild show, right? We we started with COVID and then we had supply chain disruptions. We've had armed conflict in the Ukraine. We've got um, inflation that kind of came up um, surprisingly about a year ago. We've had um, social issues come up, new social issues. We've had um, changing nature of work. So we've had to deal with all those things. And, you know, we've, we've dealt in various degrees of effectiveness with all those things. But a lot of this is about been playing catch up. And so we've had to pivot really fast and, and be playing defense a lot. So... What Carol and I really want to do is help leaders anticipate what's going to happen in the future and get ahead of things. And so to do that, you have to really literally see around corners, start to connect the dots before anyone else does. And then instead of just having one way to win, um, you need to create multiple pathways forward because there's so many curveballs and obstacles that are getting thrown at us that if you just got one way to win, you're probably not going to. So I'll just talk a little bit about what we feel real-time leadership to be, and then Carol can step in and, and just um, 
outline the model. So when we think about real-time leadership, um, for us, it's about making the most of every moment. Uh, we don't have a second to waste, whether it's a split-second decision that we need to make or whether it's something that we're really focused on in our organization this fiscal quarter or whether it's a lifetime goal that we're pursuing. We really want to make the most of every moment. And what we find is that leaders instinctively grasp that uh, and the way they make the most of every moment, though, is through their pattern recognition that they've picked up through their years of experience. So when they see a stimulus coming at them like A and then another stimulus like B, they put it together and they reflex into, well, C is the right answer because I've seen this before. And that's really good for day-to-day -day operating environments, but we haven't been in one of those for a long time. And even in day-to-day -day operating environments, if you're just depending on your reflexes all the time, you're not getting any better. Um, and you're certainly not able to tackle novel things, a new type of crisis, or even a new type of opportunity, something that might be 10x bigger than anything you've seen before. So how do you do that? You need to overcome your reflexes, and then figure out the optimal move. So real-time leadership is about creating that space so that you don't reflex and you can choose, and then stepping into peak performance through a model that we've created. Yeah, there's. So, I, I relate to what you're saying, even in my own experience of, of you... There's been so, we, we try to strike this balance between uh, the need to form habits over time and like the willpower that it takes to do new tasks. And that when you're in a constant place of forming new habits and having to leverage willpower, it's it's draining and you're trying to get yourself into a consistent place. But to your point, there's been so much change that it's, uh, there's like a new skill to develop. And it's like, how do you see around the corners, like you said, and you're not in like a very habitual kind of uh, week over week, month over month kind of pattern, at least in my experience, like it as it used to be. And so there's there's a new skill there to to grow in this gap, which is to be able to deal with that kind of consistent change. I think that's exactly right. And it's um and it can be very, very wearing. The the part that I would pick up on, and this is where I think like the one thing and real-time leadership are so shockingly intertwined. And it's very it's just such a delight to see this is <clears throat> okay. So Victor Frankl talks about creating, um, you know, between every stimulus and response, there is a space. And in that space is our freedom. What real-time leadership does is helps, you know, what to do in that space, which I think the one thing does as well, that they should be sold together. Um, <laughs> so you've made, you've made that space. Now, what do you do with that space? And we um, think our entire model and framework are ways to create more space. And ideally, you want to live in that space all the time where you can overcome your reflexes and be able to settle yourself. Because I think you can't keep doing, doing, doing. You also have to be replenishing yourself. So the two models we have are one is something called the five C's, which is how you can settle yourself down and create the space. and then. What are all the smart things you can do in that space? Um, so in a nutshell, I'll, I'll just whip through this to give you the concepts. And then why don't you kind of hone in on what's the most interesting to you and to the people, you know, who are listening because they're what counts. So in I'll order do my to- best. Okay. <laughs> now you won't. You're actually answering your email. I can tell. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So we we build on the work of this guy, Richard Schwartz, um, how you know you accessing your core is um, asking yourself, you know, how am I in terms of being calm, clear, curious, compassionate, and courageous? And you can, there's things you can do for all of those. Okay. So then you settle down, create space. Then we have the MOVE model, which is a framework with an acronym that helps you know what to do in that space. So the first one is to be mindfully alert. And that is mindful in the beginner's mind and alert like an athlete. And okay, to what? And that's, we can talk about this later, but the three dimensions of leadership that you always have to be aware of what's going on outside of you, inside of you, and with other people. And then I think David mentioned from willpower to waypower, we need four ways 
to win and move forward. And that's to be a good options generator. And we can talk about that because there's sort of specific pathways forward. And that pulls on really good business strategy, military strategy, every psychological theory you can throw a stick at and all of our experience. So M, mindfully alert. O is to be an options generator. V is to validate your vantage point. You know, 75% of business failures from overconfidence. Oops, you didn't have the right vantage point. And then E is to engage and affect change. So first you make that space. And then these are some of the things you can do in that space. And I think you can also see how the one thing fits in there. Like that's another whole set of things you can do to know what to do when you've made the space. Eating healthy is an investment. It's an investment in yourself, but it also often requires an investment of your time. But good news is Factor has delicious ready-to-eat meals that are ever fresh and never frozen. They're chef-created, dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. With Factor, you can choose from a weekly menu of up to 35 options, including popular things like Calorie Smart or Keto Direction or Protein Plus or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover 60 more add-ons every week like breakfast on the go, lunch, snacks, beverages to help you stay fueled, feel good all day. And we know our listeners here at The One Thing are focused on health and health goals. That's why we choose to partner with Factor. And if you visit factormeals.com slash 150 and use code 150, you can get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. Again, that's factormeals.com slash ONE50 and use code ONE50 to get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. Hmm. On the on the five C's, you said calm, clear, curious, compassionate. What was the fifth one? Courageous. Courageous. I love that. Yeah, I, I think it's so important to have systems and models in place because, in my experience, and I, and, I, and I've heard this along the way, uh, but you rarely rise up to the occasion. You kind of fall back on your training, right? And so when you when you think about highly stressful scenarios, when you're triggered or you're you're kind of caught off guard that you'll you'll not just like figure it out in the moment as often as you will go back to like systems and models if you have them. And so I love that you guys have the the five C's. I think that's really cool. And uh, I'll, I'll share some personal experience. And I used to skydive professionally a long time ago, back back when, and um, before I got into business, built some businesses, started doing these, these things. And it was always really interesting. People ask me like, what did you take away from that? Those 4,000 skydives that you did and there's just some unique things. And one of them that I thought was really good was the ability to um, leverage training to deal with high-risk scenarios. And you, know, you have these things that happen, like you'll have a parachute malfunction. And, and you don't, you, you, if you don't have systematic training that's done repetitively over time, when that high-stress scenario happens, you'll, you'll lose track. You won't be able to, to fall back on your training. And it's, the analogy is there is that that we we need to have these models in place and drill them over time, right? Have a good framework so that when you hit a difficult scenario, you can fall back on them. Uh, that's exactly right. And we actually, one of our thought partners who um, was instrumental to part of the book is a retired four-star general. And um, we don't even have to write down anything he says because it's laser burned in our heads all the time. And he's so <laughs> wise and, and such a kind person. And he said, you know, it's all about the reps. And that's exactly right. So it's about setting an intention um, to have positive change and then stepping into that over and over and over again until it becomes part of you. So that's absolutely right. And he also that's says, right, yeah, it's it's the, the reps and how you can really put it into your physical being. Yeah. So how would somebody, or how do you coach someone if they, if, if they're going to hit you know, kind of a high stress inflection point, difficult decision, like where do you typically start with them to implement the, the process? You want me to go? Yeah. Um, so th there's three ways. If you look at like a time frame, um, first of all, I like to unpack things in the rear view mirror. So, you know, something happened in the past. It was like, wow, that was a trigger. Um, but now there's some time and distance between it. So let's kind of unpack that and figure out what was going on. What was your decision tree? What was happening around you? What could you have done differently? So that's that's just kind of stepping into it a little bit and talking about um, forces that can be positive or um, work against you. Um, 
then I like to work in the moment or even anticipate things. And, you know, you, you often have some warning <laughs> that things are going to be high stakes, right? So you're going into a big meeting and then you think to yourself, like, well, am I just going to go in and just see what happens? Am I just going to um, fly by the seat of my pants or am I going to set an intention for this meeting? So an intention might be, um, Gee, I think I'm I'm likely to get rattled, or I'm likely to say something I might regret. So my focus in this meeting, aside from winning or losing or having a draw, is that I'm not going to let anything rattle me, no matter what happens. So that's just an intention. And then when I'm in that meeting, it's like, oh my gosh, now I'm stressed. Like I, <laughs> I'm going to lose it. So I often like set my phone to buzz a couple of times in that meeting. And when it buzzes, it interrupts me and it reminds me to ask myself, like, am I living my intention? So if I am great, if I'm not, it's kind of one more chance to pull it out of the fire and be the person I want to be. And then you just keep doing that like over and over and over again. And you step into these situations, not like giving yourself a PhD level challenge when you're just beginning, but giving yourself something that, okay, I can step into this. I can handle this even in a stressful situation, start to see that it's working. And that's going to encourage me to keep trying over and over and over again so that my intention then the next time begins to be more automatic. And that's how it all starts to really work well. Yeah, that that's, that's really good. Is there a question that you can like leverage to help set some intention that can narrow your focus? Okay, I'm gonna Gosh, you've been reading the book. You've been reading the book. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like Hermione. I feel like Hermione <laughs> in Harry Potter. Like me, me, me. Is there a question you can ask yourself to help set an intention? Yes. One year, um, a, a couple of years ago. It was like the New Year's thing. And you're thinking like, oh, you know, I think New Year's resolutions are kind of hokey, but, you know, and then I was thinking about, you know, they're always like what you're going to do. And I thought, well, I don't want to make another resolution about what I'm going to do. I want to make a resolution about who I want to be. So my resolution there was to ask myself, I literally did this 80 times a day, was I was in a situation and I'm like, okay, who do I want to be right now? Um. I wrote a little article for Inc. Magazine once on this called The Split Second Question That Can Change Your Life. And it really, really can. Like, let's say somebody wants coaching from you and it's about being in front of a, a, an audience or an important group. And, you know, you're, you're thinking to give them advice and like, oh, you can do this, you can do that, you can do the other. You could also say, hey, when you're in front of that room, who do you want to be? Now, little scale, you're driving in your car or you're at the store and someone is taking forever and you are in a hurry. Okay, who do I want to be right now? Do I want to be the person going nuts, you know, for something Mm -hmm. that in the grand scheme of the world really doesn't matter? So that's the one question that is really, really great. Who do I want to be right now? And I just find that, you know, somebody hands me something. It's not what I expected. It's not as good as I expected. Who do I want to be right now? You know? And that that's something that's very much aligned with um, the one thing's philosophy, too. Because when you look at this, it's it's a relatively small thing that you can do that has disproportionately positive outcomes in your leadership. So we we like to look for those kind of things all day long. And that's one of the most powerful questions you can ask. You nailed it. Yeah, we are looking for the the like you said, disproportionately impactful, high return on investment, small habits or behaviors that you can form that would unleash extraordinary success for you over time, like yeah. an exponent or like a, a chain of dominoes. I'm I'm curious the if uh, something that I I've done bef- before going into meetings is similar, but I want your feedback as coaches if you like this question. But I'll ask myself like, what would success look like for me before the meeting. But I like the, the angle that you took on that. Like, who do I want to be? Could you like pair those two things together perhaps? Since like, who do I want to be? And like, what would success be for me in this meeting? Okay. I got to take that one. <laughs> so yes, <laughs> that's, that's very much aligned with what we call three-dimensional leadership. Okay. So when you think about it, um, 
we all know leaders who are great at driving for results, but they're terrible with their people. Or we know leaders who are really wonderful and care about their people, but they really find it difficult to hold them accountable for outcomes. And then we know subject matter experts or individual contributors who uh, are wonderful in terms of their knowledge, but they find it difficult to relate to people. So those are all kind of one or at best two-dimensional leaders. And we think you have to have three dimensions. So what Carol talked about, who do you want to be? That's the second dimension of leadership. That's who do you want to be inside? Who do you want to be as a human? The first dimension of leadership to your question is what do I need or want to get done? Like, what's my goal here? What's the most important thing that I can do right now? And being crystal clear on that, again, so you're not wasting a moment of time and you're not spending effort on something that's not going to move the dial. So what's my best outcome for this interaction? What's my goal for revenue this month? You know, where do I want to be in my career in three years? Those are external goals. And then the third dimension is like once I know what I want to get done and who I want to be while I'm doing it is um, how do I need to relate to people in order to effectively interact with them, unlock their potential and achieve our goals together. So it's that external, internal and interpersonal dimension. And all those three dimensions have to come together. If you've only got one or two of those, you're by definition, not a, a whole leader. Yeah. Like that, it's almost it's like a higher a higher tier of leadership because part of it's like thinking inside yourself. The other is like just being aware of the outcome you want to create, but you're missing the component of like connectivity to the other people in the room and also advancing them towards their outcomes and perhaps supporting them them and who they want to become. Yes, so I'd like to take you through an another example. So think of something it is. I'm not going to make. I'm not going to actually do a coaching session with you, but what you're saying, like, how do you like know what great looks like? So mm. we have a model called, I call it coach by numbers, but, um, so pick something like that you would want to work on. Launching a new product. Okay. So, okay. So here's what the, this would be. So we'd say, okay, Chris, if launching the product was a 10 of 10, what would it look like? And we would have you paint that picture, you know, acrylics, detail, like what would you be doing? What would other people be doing? What would you be thinking, feeling? You know, if we had a movie camera of you, what would we be seeing? And so we really make you do that 10 out of 10. Okay. Then, so this is a coaching model in four steps. So the second one, as I say, okay, Chris, on that scale of one to 10, we know what a 10 looks like. On that scale of one to 10, what number would you give yourself now? Mm. So give me a number. 6.7. Okay. So it's like, okay, so Chris, you're a 6.7. What are you doing right that you are not a 6.0? Okay. And then this is what we call the art of positive con um, confrontation. Because then I just blast you. What are you doing right? Okay. What else are you doing right? What else are you doing right? You think you're nothing, not doing anything else right? You're wrong. What else are you doing right? And so, you know, that kind of debriefing intensity of, you know, this deal went wrong. Well, what did you do? But it's the re it's the reverse. It's the intensity, but it's like, okay, figure out what you're doing right. It is neurologically more difficult, cognitively more difficult to describe what you're doing right. Much easier and more neurologically aligned to say what you did wrong. So we mm. kind of do that until you're drooling or you want to smack me one or the other. And then mm. I just once more, well, what else are you doing right? And often at that end, something just pops into your head. So then we would ask, what could you do over the next eight weeks to get from a 6.7 to a 7.4? Um, and then you've just really primed the pump with all the things that you're doing right and clearly in some of those areas, you could be doing more. That's right. So this is coached by numbers. So at, what are you at a 10 out of 10? What are you now? What are you doing right that you're not a half point lower? And what could you do to become a half point higher? And that's the, that like that 10 out of 10 is really hard in the beginning to, to learn how to do. Yeah. And it's uh, like, it's, there's a, so there's a couple of magical things in there. So one is normally when we ask you what number you're at and you say 6.7, 
then the next logical thing is, well, how do we close that gap and make it a 10 out of 10? And it's like, it doesn't work that way. So what Carol talked about was that kind of flipping the mindset into what am I doing right? And then taking on a micro behavior so that it's not too big a stretch because that will just end in tears for most of us or almost all of us. And then how do we use our strengths in a new way to start to close the gap? So it's a radically different mindset in a very simple framework. I like that. It's, it, that's interesting because what you're doing first is I always say goals are, are like a destination, but you're figuring out specifically mm-hmm. like what does extraordinary success look like in this context and being as specific and measurable as you can be about that place that you want to get to. And then where you see typically in those is you would say, okay, like locate yourself today and then measure the gap. But what you're saying first is in an orient yourself first around what you are being successful in. So you can almost like build the framework to grow within instead of just focusing on the gap, which can seem overwhelming. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you know, I'm sure you guys have, but when you were talking about asking the question uh, time over time to keep drilling deeper, it reminded me of like some uh, maybe more like classic root cause analysis where you would ask the five whys Mm -hmm. or the seven whys and just keep going. And it gets so difficult to ask that next question, but where you get the real value is when you go past the easy answers into having to really search for the, for the next answer. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Well, what else do you guys think in this in this kind of process is in your framework? I know we talked about the the five C's, and then you talked about move. Uh, how do you, how do those two things like relate together? And when you when you have both the five C's and then kind of the model of move, how do you put those things together for somebody? Well, the five C's is an accelerant, so you can think of like the move model M O V E. And at any place, you can't go wrong with downshifting and centering yourself. Mm-hmm. But, you know, David talked about the three uh, dimensions of leadership. But maybe what we could do for a moment is talk about the four pathways forward. Okay. Uh, and and you have to kind of get in that, like, calm place to then think about it. So real-time leadership is about, you know, again, transcending your reflexes and knowing what to do in that space. And one of the things is like, how do I want to move in this kind of situation, whether it's this external goal, your internal development or interpersonal. And the four main reflexes are fight, flight, freeze, and befriend. And we all tend to have a natural kind of stance. Some of us just automatically are ready to do the fight thing. Others of us are automatically ready to do the flight thing. Others are just ready to freeze. And others are automatically ready to befriend others. So fight, flight, freeze, and befriend. Befriend is a new um, reflex that's being researched. And if you think, gosh, that sounds kind of like good Samaritan, uh, just imagine you're on a street and you see a toddler and you see an oncoming bus. You don't go, gee, do you think I should? Oh, dear. No, you, you, you don't think you grab the kid. So fight, flight, freeze, and befriend. And these are, again, these different stances that you can take, you know, like in playing tennis. um, If you have one stance, you know, something's coming for your forehand, you'll take one stance, different stance for backhand. So with things coming at us and the four stances that we come up with that are based on the reflexes are when something's thrown at you, whether it's what do we do with the merger and acquisition, or I have to fire someone, or I was just given $2 million, what do I do with it? Um, do you lean in and really engage? You can engage intensely, aggressively, or with great enthusiasm. But do I lean in and really connect here? Or do I lean back and look at the overview, look at the data, get up on the balcony, you know, really try to finesse the conflict and not go there if I don't have to? But how do I lean back? But then there's lean with. And that would be more like being sort of nurturant on, on a big scale. It would be culture, psychological safety, but that's another route to go. And then the tough one is um, how do I not lean at all? Like something's happened and I would be triggered. And how do I just not lean at all? And in that, the other ways of, of leaning are more like what I'm going to produce. I'm either going to produce this energy. I'm going to produce thinking. I'm going to produce nurturance not moving, you know, not uh, leaning at all is how can I 
be open to receptive things. So something can like occur to me or uh, something intuitive. And those are your four kind of core options. You can also think of them as in your bones strategies. And um, David, why don't you describe sort of a, a business kind of example of that? Yeah, I think what what Carol is talking about with those four stances is um, the challenge that we have as humans and as leaders is that we tend to default to one or two of those stances and we don't have agility around all four. So, for example, um, I might just want to lean in all the time and leaning in may not be that great if you're facing like a major threat. For example, you might want to ask questions. You might want to ask for help. You might want to actually not lean, as Carol would say, and actually turn aside and let this thing go past you. <laughs> so the idea is that you want to cultivate agility uh, and have multiple options, multiple pathways to win. Um, the way it shows up in business, um, to your question about how do you integrate this kind of the behavior and the goals that you've got, is um, imagine that my reflex to solve any problem is kind of my playbook. It's worked for me forever. Is oh, oh hey, that's new. So I'm going to uh, move really fast. I'm going to take a bunch of little steps. Uh, I'm going to be a bit tactical, uh, but over time, that's going to form a big movement, and I always win that way. I was like, well, okay, great. But now you're facing something different. And it's like, well, maybe you can't do that. Maybe you have to slow down, make one really big move, be very strategic and be very data driven. Um, How are you going to do that? So the, the first thing is to just recognize there are many ways to solve a problem, many pathways for success. You kind of look at the different pathways that you can lay out, and then you ask yourself, is my reflex, is that right for this, or is there a better pathway? If your reflex is right, go for it. But if your reflex is not right, then you need to be able to step into this different pathway, and we show you how with a framework. So our framework is not just about saying, hey, you got to you know, set all these goals and then get there. It's like, this is how you get there. So we help unlock it for you. Mm. It's in with a 10 out of 10 thing, because even even just as an exercise, so imagine, what was it, David? Fast, tactical, intuitive. moves, yeah. Whatever. Um, (laughs) What would that pathway look like at a 10 out of 10 and really make yourself think of it? And then David could say, all right, but what if you need to move, you know, slow, big, data-driven, what would that 10 out of 10 look like? And then what would another 10 out of 10 look like? So first, just really getting yourself to do that positive visualization um, for these different pathways. And so to sort of get them in your head. And then here's where the coach versus consultant comes in is what I'll say to my um, leaders is, listen, I'm not in your company. I've never run a Fortune 20 uh, company in my life. Like, what do I know? I don't know what you should do, but what I do know is I don't know which one of these paths you should take, but I want you to be able to take any of them. And and now imagine you've got these four pathways and you've got these three dimensions of change. So there's your three dimensions of change, what you want to do, who you want to be, how do you want to relate? For any of those, do you lean in, lean back, lean with, or don't lean? And that gives you kind of a grid. Oh, that makes sense. So it, it, if you are going to engage in a, in a situation where this would show up, it's, it's first important to know like what your kind of natural inclination is though, right? If you're like, oh, I tend to, I tend to flight, you know, right. or, you know, I tend to freeze, then it's good to know that um, if, if you've been successful to this point or even, you know, gotten to a certain place, you've probably figured out ways to make that work for yourself, which it, yeah. in, in a way, but in that given scenario, which is why it's important to be I guess, like situationally aware of what it is you're going into to know which one is the right um, response. And then to your point, like what would a 10 out of 10 response be? And then apply that, uh, you know, how do I internally want, who I internally want to be? Then like, what would success be in this meeting given that I know I need to have that outcome? And then uh, finally, you know, how can I have that external kind of influence? And I, I can't remember what, how you described the third one, but I think like the connectivity of the other people and players. And what we yeah, do in the, the book, side. yeah, and what we do in the book, and a lot of this, frankly, is David's fault. Um, this book is like um, an operating model. When we first did this whole thing, we have the whole thing of like, what are your options 
or your interpersonal waves of being. And I started to write something flowery. Um, and then David and my editor basically, you know, so what we do, I mean, a lot of these chapters are very dense. Marshall Goldsmith says it's dense in a good way because each chapter would be another person's book. But it will literally be, you are in an interpersonal situation. What is it you need to look at to know if you should lean in? These are the things that would suggest you should. These are the things that should suggest you should not. And then it goes through all of them. And then how do you lean in? You lean in with your, you know. So it's it's very much, um, that's one of the things we're happy about. And it's really hard to describe, like in a podcast, like, um, of course. you know, here, here it is. But that's why they should read the book. Oh yeah, 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 read the book. It's really, um, I was recently in a very tough spot. I had to have a very difficult conversation and one where I was partly in the wrong. So there was no like, you know, moral high ground here. Um, but I wasn't entirely in, in, in the wrong. And so I was so desperate. This is so pathetic. I was so desperate that I reached for the book to help myself. So I'm now a consumer. And so I went through the five C's and I went through what is it I really want to accomplish. And the person had messed up something very important to me. And then I'm like, ask myself, what do I want to make sure I don't let myself accomplish? Because I, part of me just wanted this person to really get how much pain they cost me, how much money they cost me, how much stress they cost me. And it was very clear, like, no, that is not the first dimension of change, the first dimension of leadership. I need to be clear on what my outcome is and do the one thing that really needed to be done. And the book really helped me do that um, and the materials. So there's a, a lot to be said for this kind of, you know, real-time leadership journaling. Yeah, that's, I, that's good. I, I hope you could, you could leverage your, your book and tools. And then I, I was just trying to connect for myself too, you know, both like, professionally and personally, I, I see where this, this stuff has come up, you know, at home or, you know, in your personal life, as well as with my own experience and my team. And I was thinking, um, I, I can't remember who wrote, it. I think it was David Goldman, emotional intelligence. Is that who wrote Dan. that book? He's one of Dan. our endorsers. Yes. Okay. David okay. Goldman. I remember. Okay, great. I remember reading that, that book a long time ago and he talks about like an emotional hijacking <laughs> and like the actual, uh, biology behind what happens in your brain. But really just that that trigger to know that, okay, I'm getting hijacked. And I think that that speaks to me uh, in, in alignment with what you guys are saying about your kind of four main reflexes. But it's almost like, do you see that there's like that initial need to recognize in those scenarios? Like, oh, I'm, I'm about to get triggered or I am getting triggered. And then knowing to fall back on a framework um, to, to utilize what you guys are teaching. But do you see like, first, like be aware that you are like getting triggered and like this is a place where you need to be cautious of what your kind of natural inclination is. We we basically start where you are. So people are at different levels of self-awareness and that's okay, right? So there are people who um don't even know that they've said or done something that's let's say less than optimal until mm -hmm. after the fact and then when someone tells them, right? So mm -hmm. okay, if that's the case, we have a starting point for you. There's another starting point where it's like, oh, I just said that. I can't believe I said that. Uh, I was worried I was going to say that. And it's like, okay, that's a slightly higher level of self-awareness. And there's another starting point for you. There's another point where you're in the middle of something and you go, oh, I'm going to lose it. I'm going to lose it. And then you lose it. <laughs> that's another level. And then there's <laughs> another point where it's like, I can see it coming and I'm going to treat it in advance. And that's another level. So it really depends on your starting point. Um, but there's there's treatments to be done or interventions um, that can be helpful for all those things, but you've got to figure out where you're at in terms of your self-awareness. Such a great point. And I think there's no matter where you are, it's good to just identify that, Hey, this is a point where I may, you know, hit that trigger. And then as you build it like a muscle, I'm sure you can be in front of it and see the scenario like around the corner, she said earlier, and <laughs> you know, like, Oh, here comes, here comes that thing. And, Ideally, that's where you want to get to, right? That's the goal is to get to a place where you can be proactive instead of reacting to, all right, I'm here. I'm, the word just came out of my mouth. Now let's recover. Right. How can And also, how can you see ahead of the curve? And I think what's really important is to balance it with self kind of challenge and confrontation with self-compassion. You know, and 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 that's sort of like that's how you enter a flow state. You have high challenge, high self-regard and sense of what you can do. And I think really pulling those together is just 
really, really vital because we want to be extraordinary. I mean, our book is really, you know, you've heard good to great from Jim Collins. We're really great to extraordinary, but also, you know, extraordinary is being able to create that space as the book talks about and, and live in that space and apply it at home and apply it to yourself as well as to your company. Yeah, that makes sense. I like what you say about create that space and live in that space. And it's, it's, there's probably like the beginning of, I understand you guys tell me, but there's probably the beginning is creating that space for yourself and knowing how to create that space for yourself. But then maybe a more advanced application is how do you create that space in a, in a group amongst others and like influence it more broadly? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That's okay. that's level two. Got it. <laughs> really, it's so much fun to talk to yeah. someone who who just gets it so quickly because mm-hmm. you're living your version of it. You know your yeah. framework that works and dedication to that yeah. and commitment to personal growth. Yeah, I mean, it's you. You guys said it in your C's. I, I'm pretty sure it's cur- curiosity, right? Like that's mm. for me. That that's been a game changer. Is is coming in to any scenario first, being curious. And Stephen Covey said a long time ago, right? Like seek first to understand. Like uh, was was in his seven habits of highly effective people. But it's 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 that. It's like for for me, that's been a game changer to just try to come. That's in my own triggers and inclinations. Is first be curious, and uh, just my own personal experience and relating to what you guys are doing. So I'm dying well. to hear. Hmm. Sorry to flip things around here, but I'm dying to hear. Okay, so when you were falling through the air in one of your like <laughs> 4,000 parachute jumps, how might something like this, you know, how, how would you use that as a metaphor or a reality for what you're learning about our model? I'm just fascinated that you've done that. That's interesting. So how to connect uh, some of the, the the skills in the framework that you guys are are teaching and training around um, the yeah, sport of skydiving or that experience? Yeah, it, it falling through the air at X hundred miles an hour or something is kind of a real time challenge when your parachute's funny. Um, yeah, you know, I, I would say calm and clear definitely show up. Mm-hmm. Like when you're thinking of the seas, it's a common misconception that that you know skydiving is is just very intense all the time. But when you're at the you're very frequent and you're having a lot of skydives in a short period of time, it that stress starts to go away and it, a little bit of like cognitive dissonance and like in the moment it's it's you're aiming to be very clear and very calm. And I, I think that's true and translates to a lot of things. Like when you, mm-hmm. when you, you're trying to, in the, in the chaos and the stress, you're trying to create clarity and you're trying to calm things down. You're trying to eliminate the noise. And so I think that's where it would show up. And then when things feel like your natural reaction is to, is to, I guess, have a trigger, it's fighting that, that inclination and staying calm and thinking clearly and falling back on your systems and your tools and your training. And do you think that doing that so many times has really helped you now in in this life? Yeah, I mean, my lower back might argue with you on uh, on some of that, but no, I'm no it's like kidding. I'm five inches shorter now, Carol. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely, and I appreciate the question, and and for sure, yeah, I think it's it's managing risk is uh, is is it's been really impactful for me. Looking at a scenario that on the surface looks like it's too risky to endeavor, but then when you really peel it back, break it down mm. and you get a few layers deeper, there's a way to control that risk. Mm. And if you mm. can do that and do it really well, then you have an advantage over other things because people have a limiting belief about what that particular scenario is. Mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah. Well, guys, thank you so much. This has been awesome. But I want to make sure, where can uh, our listeners check out your book? Where can they find you on the social, all the things if they want to learn more and be a part of your world? Well, right now, if you simply Google the words real-time leadership, um, our bright red and orange cover will will show up. And and you can buy the book there. And if you remember either of our names or both of them, um, you can just Google us. But you can also go to realtimeleadershipinstitute.com. Hello, too long. So we did it to <laughs> RTL, real-time leadership, RTLinstitute.com. So you can write David and Carol at Real-Time Leadership Institute, David, Carol, um, son of David. No. Um, so you get us. But but right now, since we're, um, we're hoping that you guys buy the book, because at this point in time, 
literally every hardback that's bought has an impact on us. And you wouldn't, you wouldn't think so. It's like, ah, just one book. And when does it matter? But any book you get before February 25th is huge for us. So if you're feeling that impulse, give in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> give in. Hopefully they'll come check you guys out. And you said the book comes out on the 21st? Two twenty one, yes. right at President's Day week, that week. Awesome. Well, what would you guys, we'd like to ask this question uh, at the end of the podcast. So if you guys both want to take it or one, it's up to you. But if you could have our listeners take away one thing from the podcast today, what would it be? Okay, David, do you want to go first? You want me to go first? Sure. No, I think it's about how do you become a real-time leader? The world needs more of us. And that is about creating some space so that you don't reflex into things. And then basically think about yourself as a three-dimensional leader and have many pathways to win. That's more than one thing, but it's, I think those are the takeaways for me. Uh, for me, I'd like you to ask yourself that split second question, you know, 20 times today in the next hour, who do I want to be right now? And see, does that just mm. open up a little bit of space for you to choose and be a better and more effective person? Powerful. David, Carol, thank you guys so much for being on today. And I appreciate your time. Thanks, Chris. It was great. Lots of fun. Thank you, Chris. Same. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to The One Thing Podcast. If you're a bold risk taker who wants to dream big and achieve a higher level of success in your life or business, visit theonething.com. There you'll find information on -on one-on-one coaching, our exclusive community membership program, and customized workshops that will help you get your team or organization aligned and rowing in the same direction. That's T-H-E, the number one, dot com to start living the life you've always dreamed of today. Be sure to follow the show to stay up to date on weekly episodes, guest interviews, and more. Plus, we would love to hear from you. Send us a voice note by going to speakpipe.com slash the one thing or email us at podcast at the one thing.com. We'll see you next week.